progress. All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, March 11th, 2022. And we are going to conclude our study of Parsha's Vayikra, the Torah portion of Vayikra, with, um, with the last few readings and a very special maftir, etc. Okay, I have this up on my screen. I'm going to share mine with you momentarily. Let's welcome everybody, Donna, Joy, and Sarah, and of course, everyone else listening and watching as well. Okay, here we go, sharing screen. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27. As you recall yesterday, or from yesterday, we discussed the sin offering. So we've had uh, three categories of offerings this week. We started off with the burnt offering, voluntary donation, the whole thing is burnt. We then segued into the peace offering where part of the animal is on the altar, eaten by the Kohen, eaten by the, by the one who brought the offering. And the third type of offering was the sin offering. And within the sin offering, there's different types of sin offerings. There's the sin offering brought by the uh, anointed priest who sins. There's the sin offering brought by the congregation who sins because of an, an erroneous ruling by the Supreme Court, by the, by the Sanhedrin. Then there's the sin offering brought by the leader of the people, the Nasi, the leader. Now we continue. Ex, uh, Leviticus 4, verse 27. If one person of the people of the land commits a sin unintentionally. So now we're talking about standard case of an individual, private individual, who commits a sin unintentionally. By his committing one of the commandments of the Lord, which may not be committed, incurring guilt. So if this is what happened, so what should he do? If... His sin that he committed is made known to him, so when he finds out about it, he shall bring his sacrifice. What is the sacrifice? An unblemished female goat for his sin that he has committed. So that's what the, the offering should be. It's an unblemished female goat. I'm trying to remember. The first two sin offerings were bulls. The last one was a goat. The last one by the leader was a goat, but was it a male or a female? It was a male goat, right? Yesterday, we read about the leader sinning unintentionally, and it was an unblemished male goat. If it's not the leader, if it's a private citizen, right, that's today's reading, one person means uh, just, just a regular person, makes a sin, commits an unintentional sin, then it's an unblemished female goat. Um, let's continue. He shall lean his hand forcefully on the head of the sin offering, as we have seen throughout the offering ritual, and he shall slaughter the sin offering in the same place of the burnt offering. In other words, outside the tent of meeting, in that open courtyard space. And the Kohen shall take some of its blood with his finger and place it on the horns of the altar used for burnt offerings. That's the corner of the altar, the outer altar, uh, the copper altar. And, he shall, and then he shall pour all of its remaining blood at the base of the altar. So similar to what we've had before, he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat was removed from the peace offering. The Kohen, right, same thing we said last time. The Kohen shall then, which means the fats and the diaphragm and the kidneys and the liver, the Kohen shall then cause it to go up in smoke on the altar as a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. Thus, the Kohen shall make atonement for him and he will be forgiven. Great, great. So that's the female goat. What if, he, what if instead of a goat, he wants to bring a sheep? He's allowed to, a goat or a sheep. If he brings a sheep for his offering, his sin offering, then he shall bring an unblemished female. Again, same gender here, a female sheep. So either, so if we put everything together, we have now either a female goat or a female sheep. How does the female sheep work? Here we go. He shall lean his hand forcefully upon the head of the sin offering and slaughter it as a sin offering in the place where he slaughtered the burnt offering. And, and the coin shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and place it on the horns of the altar used for burnt offering. Same exact protocol. And then he shall pour all of its blood onto the base of the altar. And he shall remove its fat, all its fat, just as the sheep's fat is removed from the peace offering. And that probably indicates that just as the sheep, the, everything that happened with the peace offering sheep should happen with this. If you recall, when it came to the sheep offering, the sheep peace offering, there was one wrinkle, the tail. If you recall, there was a tail that was also burnt in the altar. It would, this, the implication here is that the sheep's tail is also burnt along with the fats and the kidney and the diaphragm and the liver and all that stuff, the tail also, because he describes it just as the fat is removed from the peace offering. That includes 
all the rituals done with the peace offering, I believe. We'll see Rashi soon. The Kohen shall then cause them, the items, to go up in smoke on the altar upon the fires of the Lord. Thus the Kohen shall make atonement for him, for his sin which he has committed, and, once again, he will be forgiven. That kind of concludes the sin offering. The sin offering is the carbon chatos, the chatos sin offering. That those are for scenarios where a person committed a sin, but did so unintentionally. There was no malice, there was no intention to sin. It happened. The person did it, didn't realize it was a problem, found out later it was a problem. Whoops, what do I do now? You bring a sin offering. We discussed in total four scenarios. A anointed priest, the congregation because of an erroneous ruling of the, of the, of the high court, the leader, and of course the private individual, the private citizen. Okay, let's toggle Rashi, and let's see what Rashi's got here. Rashi talks about the goat, the female goat a sin offering, and it says, just as the fat, all the fat is removed, just as it was removed from the peace offering goat, i.e., Rashi says, like the parts burnt on the altar of the goat mentioned under the category of peace offering, same deal. Um, sin offering means it has to be this done for the specific purpose of a sin offering. You have to have that intention. Then about the sheep, um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm going to say I called it, but Rashi says exactly what I, what I told you he would say. Um, the sheep, the items to be burnt for this sheep sin offering are just like this sheep peace offering. And Rashi explains what that means. Whose prescribed parts offered up in the altar are increased by the addition of its tail. In other words, it's all the fat and the diaphragm and the kidneys and the liver plus its tail. And likewise, in the case of a female sheep brought as a sin offering, likewise in our case, it too requires the tail to be added together with the prescribed parts offered up on the altar that the measure says. Okay? That's it for the sin offering. All right, let's toggle Rashi off and let's jump into chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 5. A bit of a different twist. If a person sins whereby he accepts an oath and he is a witness to some matter by seeing or knowing it, yet he does not testify, okay, he shall bear his transgression. So case number one is the person is a, is a witness and he basically lies about being a witness. He does not testify. This is not a mistake. We've talked about sins before, up until now, the sin offering was for things that a person did that they didn't know was a problem. Here a person knows what they're doing. It's an intentional sin. They took an oath, or either a false oath, or they were a witness and they refused to testify, or they say, I, I didn't see anything. They're lying about it. In that case, he shall bear his transgression. That's a problem. That's a problem. Another case, another scenario. Or if a person touches anything unclean, whether it is the carcass of an unclean wild animal or the carcass of an unclean domestic animal or the carcass of an unclean creeping animal or, and it was hidden from him, he incurs guilt. So in this case, there's, there is a vanilla. There is a, a, a concealment. He does not realize that... that uh, um, what doesn't he realize? Let's, uh, we'll probably need Rashi, but there's something about the scenario that he doesn't realize. So now he's guilty, va'ashem. Or if he touches the uncleanliness of a human, with any uncleanness through which he may become defiled, a person, you know, person A is impure and person B touches person A, and it is hidden from him and later he knows, in this case, once again, he has incurred guilt. Or if a person swears, expressing with his lips to do harm or to do good, whatever a man may express in an oath, like, I promise I'm going to, you know, X, Y, Z. Or I swear I'm going to, right, person says that. And it is hidden from him and, he later, and later he knows, right? Somehow he, he violated the oath, the swear, the promise. He violated it unintentionally. He is, or, or, or uh, some level he didn't realize and then later he knows. We'll see the exact scenario soon. He is guilty in any one of these cases. Here we have a bunch of cases, right, of guilt. One, two, three, four scenarios. And it shall be when someone incurs guilt in any of these cases. By the way, guilt here is different than sin offering. I already told it to you yesterday. Right? A sin offering is where the sin was committed, but the person's not really guilty. They didn't really know. In these cases, there's guilt. The person's guilty. Right? Either they should have known or they did know or something. Something's different in this case. There's a, there's, a, there's a guilt here. So when someone incurs guilt in any of these cases, that he shall confess the sin which he had committed. Step one is confessing the sin. 
You cannot be cleansed of guilt by avoiding it or by not owning up to it. Like, I didn't do anything wrong, but if you want me to bring this animal, I'll bring this animal. That does not work. That does not work. The first, the first step is vidui, confession. Vihisvada. He has to confess. Must confess the sin. Step one is own it. Don't sell it. Don't push it. Don't reflect it. Don't bounce it. Own it. Confess. Then he shall bring his guilt offering. This is not a sin offering. I know I keep on repeating it, but I just want to make sure it's clear. I just... <laughs> This is what we're learning. This, this is this week's topic. So might as well at least understand what we're learning, right? So the guilt offering is not a sin offering. Sin offering is about the sin that was done. I, didn't, I had no idea. I had no idea I was doing it. Whoops, I found out. Ay, 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 ay. I got to bring a sin offering. A guilt offering is, I'm guilty. Right? He shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. And what type of animal should it be? Here we go. The Torah delineates a female animal from the flock either a sheep or a goat. So it could be a female sheep or a female goat. That is for a sin offering, guilt, a sin guilt offering. And the Kohen shall make atonement for his sin. Now, if he cannot afford a sheep, right? But if he cannot afford a sheep, you know what they say, if he can't do the time, don't do the crime. But he did the crime. He can't afford the time. He can't afford the sheep. So the Torah gives you an out. The Torah says he shall bring, him, he shall bring as his guilt offering for that sin that he's committed, what? Two turtle doves, or two young doves before the Lord. One for a sin offering and one for a burnt offering. Okay? He shall bring them to the Kohen, who shall first offer up that bird which is designated for the sin offering. He shall, he shall cut its head by piercing with his nail, right? Opposite the back of its head, the fingernail um, thing. But he shall, uh, um, it's called um, Malika. Malika, Malakas Reshe, right? Yeah, it's right here, Malakas Reshe, Malika. Uh, but he shall not separate it. Don't sever the head all the way. Just, you know, slaughter it, if you will, with the fingernail. He shall sprinkle from the blood of the sin offering on the wall of the altar. And the remainder of the blood shall be pressed out onto the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. It does say sin offering here. And he shall offer up a second one as a burnt offering according to the law. Thus the Kohen shall make atonement for him. For his sin, from his sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Okay, let's look at Rashi's. I think we got the scenario. The scenario is it's a bit of a different type of sin. There's more guilt here than the previous type of sin. And thus, it is a, different, a bit of a different procedure. It's got to be female sheep or goat. There's got to be two of them now instead of one. And it could be either livestock or, I mean, it could be either sheep or goat, as we said, or birds, two turtle doves or two young doves. In either case, there's two that are brought. One as a sin offering, one as a burnt offering. Okay, let's take a look at Rashi and get some clarity. Okay, first scenario is about accepting an oath regarding some matter he had witnessed, i.e. they adjured him by oath to the effect that if he knew anything regarding the matter, that he would testify for him. They told him, hey, you got a promise to testify, whatever it is, and he says, nope, I don't know, whatever he basically lies. Um, in a case where a person touches anything unclean. So here we go. And after, Rashi explains, and after consequently acquiring this uncleanliness, he eats holy things, namely sacrifices, or he enters a sanctuary, each of which constitutes a sin which, if committed, willfully incurs the penalty of excision. Now, it was hidden from him. The uncleanliness was hidden from him, meaning that he knew that he was eating holy things or entering the sanctuary. However, he did not know that he was in a state of uncleanliness at the time. By eating the sacred, so he incurs guilt by eating of the sacred food, by eating the sacred food or by entering the sanctuary. So in these cases, what happens? So he becomes impure. And then either eats holy items or enters the holy place, which you can't do in a state of uncleanliness, of impurity. And he didn't know that he was eating holy things or entering the sanctuary. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He did know, I said, I, said the, I said the reverse. He did know that he was eating holy things or entering the sanctuary. He wasn't unaware of what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, but he didn't know that he was unclean. This is different than what we had yesterday, and let me explain. In the previous case of sin offering, or today, even earlier today, in, in, in the classic case of the sin offering that we've had before, the four examples, it's where the person didn't know that this was a transgression. It's like a person didn't know that this was forbidden. Straight up. They didn't know that this was problematic. 
In this case, the more of the asham, the guilt offering, not really the sin offering, the person knows it's a problem. He knows that he can't go into the temple in a state of impurity. He knows that he can't eat from a, a carbon, from a sacrifice, sacrificial meat, while in a state of impurity. He doesn't know that he is impure. There's a difference. It's not, that he, it's not about the thing, it's about him. So in the previous cases, the person didn't know that the thing was prohibited. Here he knows that it's prohibited, but he doesn't know that he is impure. It's a bit of a different, a different uh, angle on that. Different scenario. Now, another example, or if he touches the uncleanness of a human, this refers to a corpse. Or any uncleanliness, this includes other types of uh, male or female um, uncleanliness, etc., through which he may become defiled. Okay. There's a bird, someone who swallows the care of a kosher bird and is hidden and forgot. Okay, so if a person becomes unclean and then forgets about the uncleanliness, he forgets that he's tame, and then he eats sacred food or, or, or enters the sanctuary. So he became, again, let's understand this. He became impure. He touched, let's say, a dead body. Aye, he's impure. Then the next day or the ne- a few hours later, he forgets that. He forgets, he forgets. And then he goes into the the temple, or he um, eats sacrificial food. Or a person swears with his lips, but not his heart. He merely thought about it. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He expresses with his lips to do harm or to do good, to do harm to himself or do good to himself. So that is, he swore, I will eat or I will not eat or I will sleep or I will not sleep. Whatever man may express in an oath, or if he said, I, I ate, I promise I ate, or I promise I did not eat. And then it's hidden from him, so here we go. Consequently, he transgresses oath. In all these cases, a person must bring an oil of a yard offering, a sliding scale offering, as explained in the passage. The person brings a lamb or a goat, or two turtle doves or young doves, or, we didn't say this yet, a meal offering, depending on what he can afford. It's a sliding scale offering, meaning based on how much money you have, to, or how much you can spend, Either it's going to be an animal, a bird, or flower. However, for lying in an oath involving the denial of a monetary claim, he is not liable to this type of offering, but rather a guilt offering. Okay. Fine. Fine, fine, Rabbi? fine. Rabbi? Yes. Excuse me. Rabbi? I'm here. I'm here. I don't, yeah. Oh, sorry. So um, I'm sure in a few weeks we'll be getting to the gossip. What's that? You know, Saras? Yeah. Yes. Right? So is that a sin? In this case, I mean, yeah, in these scenarios. That's not one of these sins. This still has some measure of not knowing, of, uh-huh. of lack of knowledge here. He forgets or he doesn't realize that he's impure or whatever it is. But gossip is just straight up uh, an intentional sin. There's nothing unintentional or unwitting about it. Straight up. So would it be, is it a sin that in those days you would bring a sacrifice? Oh, yeah. Sacrifice? Well, more than a sacrifice. The person got the tsaras. Right, and then, right, right, and right. then, as part of the thing, remember, there's two birds, and one is sent away, and one is shechted, and then there's a bunch of offerings. There's a whole series of offerings that have to be brought after that. So it's much, it's it's, it's more elaborate than this. This is, at the end of the day, there's some measure of un, unwitting, uh, unwittingness. I don't know, whatever. Of you know, being I was unwitting. Reading, I was reading a commentary yesterday at Chabad.org, and that point of view was that the unknowing. The unintentional sin is actually worse than the knowing sin because it's your true inner being, what you really are right. coming out. It's a little bit deeper. It's like the subconscious comes out, right? right so the, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's an angle on that as well, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Um, good. So we have two animals or two birds. One is a sin offering, one is a burnt offering. So Rashi explains that first is the sin offering. Why? A sin offering must precede a burnt offering. To what may this be compared? He gives an example. To an intercessor who enters the palace to appease the king. Once he has appeased him, then the gift enters after him. Then he gives the gift. In other words, you're not going to give a gift before while the person's still angry. That doesn't make sense. The first thing you're going to do is get back on good terms. And then you're going to give a gift. Otherwise, what's going on? What are you doing? What are you doing with the gift? That doesn't make sense. Um... Mm-mm-mm-mm. I 
I don't know that we have to read the Rashi about the blood spurting out on the, he squeezes the bird and the blood spurts out on the altar. Okay, I mean, I don't think we have to read it, but I just did. Sin offering, okay. All right. Let's continue. Uh, reading seven. But if he can't even afford two turtle doves or two young doves, he couldn't afford a sheep or a goat. He couldn't afford two birds. Then he shall bring as a sacrifice for a sin one-tenth of an ephah fine flour for a sin offering. It's one-tenth of an ephah fine flour. It's not, it's not a lot of flour. I'm not sure how much it is exactly, but it's not, it's not, it's not a tremendous amount. It's uh, fairly affordable. He shall not pour oil over it. In this case, do not pour oil. You poured oil when it was a gift to God. But now for a sin offering, don't start making it look nice. Uh-uh. You want to make your sin offering look pretty? No. Do not shine it up with oil. Nor shall he place frankincense upon it, for it is a sin offering. You're not going to doll this thing up. You're not going to put uh, the accoutrements, fragrance on it. Not happening. This is a sin offering. It's uh, just the flower. He shall bring it to the Kohen, and the Kohen shall scoop out a fistful as a reminder, the same three-finger fistful that we had earlier this week, and cause it to go up and smoke on the altar upon the fires of the Lord. It is a sin offering. Thus the Kohen shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed in any of these cases, and he shall be forgiven, and it shall belong to the Kohen like the meal offering. Okay, done. This concludes that section of sins and transgressions. These are ones that come with a little bit more guilt, because there's a little bit more guilt, there needs to be a little bit more liability, responsibility, liability. person has to, number one, own it, confess to the sin, verbally confess, say, I did this wrong. And then a person has to bring two animals. Hold on one second. Let me just double check that. Let me just fact check myself here. Um, mm, no. It's, either, it's one animal. Hold on. A female animal from the flock, either a sheep or a goat for sin offering, the country will get for sin. For sheep, she bring a guilt offering for this. Yeah. So the sliding scale is like this. I, I, think, I think I'm right, based on the reading of the, uh, rereading of this text. Either one sheep or goat, or two birds, or flower. That's the sliding scale offering. One animal, two birds, or one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as an offering. Primarily a sin offering with the birds. One is for sin offering. One is, a, one is a gift, a burnt offering. But either way, these are considered to be a form of the sin offering. Okay. Rabbi, how does this all relate to, sh- to, to shuva? Yeah, it's all about shuva because um, as I mentioned a few days ago, as we discussed, one should have in mind that all the stuff that's happening to the animal or the bird is ha- should be happening to them. And they should almost like feel like it is happening to them. Like they're being shechted, their blood, their fat, their this, their that, right? So fire, etc. It's like putting oneself through that situation almost um, or conceiving as if they are put in that, through that situation so as to stir the tshuva, to stir that, that type of, like to really get, to really reach that place of, you know, I, re- I really done something wrong. This is the real deal. So nowadays... But without the, without the inner work, the right. animal doesn't really do anything. There has to be inner work. And this is explained by the commentaries and by the Talmud. If there was no inner work done, it's no magic button. Oh, I, I sent an animal to Jerusalem, we're good. That's not how it works. There's no shortcut. Today, we don't have the animal. Today, we have the inner process. But together with the inner process, there's also a dialogue. Like, there needs to be a verbal confession. There needs to be asking for forgiveness from the person. There needs to be restitution, right, in a case that that's required. There needs to be making amends where needed. And then the spiritual internal work that has to be done as well. So, yeah, that's the process. So, but what did they do personally, you know, did they do something after? The I'm, I'm assuming they did tshuva. They, they, did, they did the whole process. And in addition, they brought the bird. Okay. Yeah. Or the, so, or the animal. Today, our prayer is, is more joyous, right? I mean, but the prayer kind of subs- is, is today's 
incarnation of the sacrifice, but we add more joy to it. Well, I mean, like it depends who you ask. Some people pray in a very different types of different parts of the prayer, right? The Shabbat prayers don't have the tshuva element because on Shabbat right. we don't do tshuva. On Shabbat okay. we don't we don't we don't wallow in our sins. But right. six days a week. We're there every, twice a day. We go, we, we, say, we recite the verbal confession every single day, twice a day, three times a day. We do it in the bedtime Shema also. There's a section over there as well. So, yeah, throughout the week, there's definitely this process of introspection and, and that sort of thing. You'll have to do a learner's daily prayer lesson one day. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it. I was thinking this week we're going to do a little bit of the Friday night service as well. So we're going to start like mixing it up Friday a little bit. Friday night service. Yeah, we're going to start mixing it up a little bit. Okay. Now, yeah, sure, no problem. Good questions. Now let's go into Rashi. Sin offering, right? And since a sinner is bringing it, albeit an unintentional sinner, it is not proper that his offering should be embellished by oil and frankincense. Like, Don't embellish your sin offering. Just bring it and, and that's it. Um, these, are, these are very elaborate. I'm not going to read these Rashis. Oh, man, that's a long one. Okay, we're going to move on. Let's move on in the discussion. Look, homework, you can do Rashis and, uh, and explore them. Let's go. Verse 14, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, if a person commits a betrayal and trespasses unintentionally against one of the things sacred to the Lord, he shall bring as his guilt offering to the Lord an unblemished ram from, his, from the flock with a value of silver shekels in accordance with the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. This is referring to misappropriation of temple funds or of, of, a, of, a, of a consecrated item of the temple. That's what a betrayal and trespass against one of the things sacred to the Lord means. That one took items or money or whatever it is that was consecrated, that was right for the temple and essentially misappropriated it. In this case, we're talking about it wasn't, it wasn't malicious, it was unintentional. But yet there's guilt and there needs to be guilt offering and how much, or what is it? It's the unblemished ram, a value of silver shekels. In other words, it has to be something of value, something of, of decent value. Um, and that is, that is that. And what he has trespassed against the holy thing, he shall pay. In other words, the person has to pay restitution. Right? I mentioned restitution before a moment ago in, in conversation with, with Donna's question. So yeah, uh, the thing that he trespassed, he shall pay, and he shall add one-fifth. There's, a, there's a, um, a fine on top of it. One-fifth of its value to it. And he shall give it to the Kohen. The Kohen shall then make atonement for him through the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. So, in this case, if the person commits a misappropriation sin, so they used an item or they misappropriate funds from the temple, etc., so then the penalty is... Well, I mean, the penalty is the ram of the guilt offering, but before that, there has to be reimbursement, right? If $100 worth of value went, was misappropriated from the temple, the Mishkan, so you got to give back the 100 plus another tenth, plus 10 more, 110, a value back, to the, back to, the, uh, to the temple. And then the Kohen Shal, then after you make the temple whole again, right, and, and the fine, then you can make atonement, then the Kohen makes atonement through the ram of the guilt offering, and he should be forgiven. Let's do Rashi's on these few verses. Um, Rashi, let's see. Yeah, Rashi says, meaning he used sacred articles for his own benefit. Yeah, it's misappropriating sacred articles. Um, how much does that have to be worth? Silver shekels, namely, it must be worth two salayim. Two salim, two coins. Because it says silver shekels, plural, so it has to be at least two. At least two coins. Now we're up to verse 17. Uh, a person commits one of the commandments 
but he does not know he is guilty. So here, let's do Rashi right away, even before we get started. This section deals with one who has a doubt regarding a prohibition punishable by excision, whereby he does not know whether he has transgressed it or not. So this case that we're about to talk about is where a person doesn't even know if he sinned. For example, a piece of prohibited animal fat, chelev, like we talked about before about forbidden fats of the animal, and a piece of permissible animal fat, shuman, are placed before someone. So you have an identical piece of meat, fat, whatever. One is prohibited because it's from the internal stuff. One is permitted because, I guess, it's more the external stuff. And, um, and thinking that both were permissible, he ate one. He ate one of the two pieces. Then people told him, I one of those pieces was prohibited fat. Now, the person doesn't know whether he had eaten the one that was prohibited or not. In this case, he must bring something called an asham toloi, which means a pending guilt offering, which means it's a guilt offering, but he doesn't know if he's actually guilty. He's pending, which protects him against punishment as long as he does not know that he has indeed sinned. However, if afterwards he did find out that he had sinned, he must bring a sin offering. So, very simply, very simply, and let me just explain a little bit outside over here. So, a person has in front of him two pieces of food, and a person eats one of them. They look the same. Person eats one of them. Then somebody comes running in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One of them is, is not kosher. I don't know which one I ate. You with me on this? I just ate one. I don't know which one I ate. I, I might have eaten the non-kosher one. I might have eaten the kosher one. There's no way to tell because they look the same. That's the scenario. They look the same. So now I'm stuck. So what do I do? Do I bring a sin offering? Did I commit a sin? I, I don't even know. Maybe I ate kosher. Maybe I didn't eat kosher. I have no idea. There's no way to know. There's no way to tell. At this point, there's no way to tell. So I bring something called an asham toloi, which means a pending guilt offering. Meaning, I'm bringing an offering because maybe I'm guilty. Maybe I made a sin. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm fine. But maybe I sin. So I bring a guilt offering that's pending. A, a karaban, um, an asham toloi. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Let's, get, let's read it inside. Verse 17. If a person sins and commits one of the commandments of the Lord, which may not be committed, but he, does, but he does not know. In other words, it starts out by saying a person sins, but it's not so simple he sinned. He does not know if he sinned. He, he might have sinned. In other words, you have to read the verse in the right way. If a person, if what we're talking about is a sin, but he does not know that he actually did the sin, so then he is guilty and he shall bear his transgression, but it's a pending guilt. We don't know for sure that he's guilty. He might be guilty. He shall bring an unblemished ram from the flock with the value for a guilt offering to the coin. The value of the guilt offering was the two coins. The coin shall then make two silver coins. The coin shall then make atonement for his unintentional sin which he committed and did not know and did not know. He still doesn't know. And he shall be forgiven. So in this case, again, it's not certain that he actually committed the sin. He might have eaten the kosher piece of meat. But since there's the, the chance that he did not eat the kosher meat, that he ate the non-kosher, the chelev, the forbidden fats, then he's got to bring this offering. Now, it is a guilt offering. He has incurred guilt before the Lord. Okay. Let's see some Rashi's. We're going little piece by piece because these are very, you know, these are a little bit uh, complicated cases or whatever, on some level complicated. Um... Big Rashi's. Yeah. Um, his unintentional sin, which he committed and did not know. He doesn't even know if he committed the sin. But if afterwards he did come to know of a sin, if he finds out later, if somehow DNA analysis was able to be done later, and it's, and it's ascertained with 100% certainty, or another form of certainty, that indeed he ate the forbidden food, the chelev, the forbidden fats, then he no longer has atonement with his guilt offering, and his sin remains unatoned until he brings a sin offering. So then he has to bring another offering. To what can this be compared? To the eglarufa, calf whose neck is broken as atonement for a city outside whose precincts a human corpse is found, and the murder is unknown. If the neck um, has already been broken and subsequently the murderer is found, the latter must be put to death, even though a sacrifice has already been offered. So in a case of an unsolved mystery, there's a process. But once you solve the mystery... You solve the murder, then you take that person to, uh, to justice. You don't say, well, we did already a provisional sacrifice, so he's off the hook. He's a murderer. You've got to punish him. So in a case, there's a provisional case of sin and then a real sin. So provisional is where you didn't know if he sinned. 
Then there's one offering. When you know that he sinned, all right, then you gotta bring a you gotta bring a sin offering. All right, verse 20. We're up to verse 20. Back, back uh, without Rashi. Let's go. Verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and the reason why this is interrupted with, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, but we keep on having that. Right? We keep on having that. 14, verse 20. It's because what we had at the beginning of the Torah portion, that God divided these teachings into different sections that Moses could study it, review it, wrap his head around it, digest it, and then he gets the next teaching. So it's not, not surprising that for us it might seem a little, you know, all over the place, but little by little. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person sins, betraying the Lord by falsely denying to his fellow concerning deposit, or money given in hand, or an object taken by robbery, or he withheld funds from his fellow. Let me explain the scenarios. Number one, falsely denying to his fellow concerning deposit. Let's say a person gives, one guy gives another guy money, I'm going out of town. Can you watch these hundred dollars of mine? I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to put. I don't want to travel with it. Comes back from the vacation. Says, "All right, I'm here for my money. What money? I gave you a hundred bucks. Never happened. Ay ay ay. He's denying getting it from his friend. That's not good. Or money given in hand. Oh, maybe that's a deposit as an object or money given in hand or an object taken by robbery. Somebody stole and then denies it. I didn't steal it. Or he withheld funds from his fellow. He's supposed to give money. He didn't didn't give it to him. Misappropriation." to an individual. Or if he found a lost article and he denied it and swore falsely regarding any, and he denied it. So imagine, somebody finds someone else's stuff and the guy says, did you find this? I don't know what you're talking about. And meanwhile, he's, he's acquired it, he's stolen it, essentially. Or he, he found the lost item and didn't give it back. And then he swore falsely, he doubled down regarding any of all these cases whereby a man may sin. So in any of these cases, person denies it, and then he says, I promise I don't, I, you never gave me a deposit. I promise I never stole money from you. I promise I didn't find your, your bicycle. Wow. It shall be when he has sinned and is guilty, when he's found out to be lying, that he shall return the article which he had robbed, or the funds which he had withheld, or the item which had been deposited with him, or the article which he had found, right? Basically, number one, restitution, give it back or anything else regarding which he had sworn falsely, he shall pay it with its principal, adding its fifths to it. So he should repay it, give, either give it back or its value, and then add another fifth as a fine on top of it. He shall give it to its rightful owner on the day that he repents for his guilt. Oh, repents. Right? Donna, Chuva. It's in the parentheses. The day he repents for his guilt, that's when, that's when he has to give back the money and the extra fifth and do tshuva. He shall then bring his guilt offering to the Lord. One second mark. He shall then bring his guilt offering to the Lord, an unblemished ram from the flock. And after you make the person whole, after you give them back the item and a fifth, right, and do tshuva, then you can start worrying about the animals. He then brings his guilt offering to the Lord, an unblemished ram from the flock with the same value for a guilt offering to the Kohen. And the Kohen shall make atonement for him from before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of all cases, for any one of all cases whereby one may commit a sin and current guilt through it. So any of these cases can be fixed, but step one is always making the other person whole. You cannot ask God for forgiveness. You cannot bring an animal to the temple. You cannot say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry I lied and whatever, and you're still holding on to the guy's money? Come on, give the guy his money back with an extra fifth. You lied about it, right? And then... You worry about God and 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 tshuva and repentance. Mark, jump in. Yeah, there's a really interesting Rashi. It's on verse 21, uh, where it says uh, in the Chumash it says if a person will sin and commit a trespass against Hashem and be deceitful toward his friend. It's, and the point is what it says here in Rashi. It says that if a person will sin, it says uh, uh, and commit a trespass against Hashem because whoever lends or borrows or buys and sells does his business only by witnesses at a contract. Therefore, at a time when he lies, he lies against the witnesses and against the contract. But one who gives his possessions for sake, keeping, keeping to his friend, does not want a soul to know about, I'm reading Rashi, except for the third party who is between them, uh, and that's God. Therefore, uh, when he denies the third party who is between them, he is, in effect, denying the existence of God. Right. Excellent. Yeah, I have that Rashi up for everybody to read it as well. Excellent. Beautiful Rashi. There's a beautiful uh, talk of the Rebbe, exposition of the Rebbe on this as well. 
um, which we don't have time for today, but it's a beautiful analysis of this Rashi. It's really a powerful idea that when you have a contract, so then you broke the contract, all right, so then you, you, you broke the contract with the witnesses, with the document, etc. But when a person gives something, some, gives someone something to watch and doesn't want anyone to know about it, no, no witnesses, it's like, hey, but can you watch my, uh, you know, can you, whatever it is, watch this for me, hold on to this for me. You know, can you give, give this to someone else? The guy pockets it or just keeps it and lies about it. God was the witness. God was the third party of the transaction. It was you, him, and God. And now you're denying it to God. You're saying, I never did it. I never took it. I don't have it. I didn't pocket it. I don't know what you're talking about. You're not just lying to that guy. You're lying to the third party. You're lying to God. And, and it means that you don't believe in God. It means you don't believe that there's going to be uh, some... Uh, some payback or whatever it is. I don't payback, maybe that's the wrong word, but th- there's going to be consequence. So that's, uh, that's the chutzpah of it. That's why it's betraying the Lord, right? Person's sins betraying the Lord. Why is it betraying the Lord? Because of, uh, God's the third party. Money given in hand, Rashi explains, he placed money into his hand to do business with it or as a loan. Right? He invested. Imagine somebody invests in a business. Imagine somebody gives, he's like, hey, $10,000, I'm investing in your business. And then the guy says, so, and then he comes back to him and says, How my, how's my investment? My, my investment. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <coughs> I give you $10,000. I don't know. <coughs> Not according to my records. Again, just pocketing money. That's literally what we're talking about. Pocketing money illegally. Rabbi, yeah. um, Hashem is third party to everything, right? Right. But in a case where there are witnesses in a contract, so the person knows that they're fighting against others and whatever. But when there's no party, <coughs> no contract, no, no witnesses, no contract. No, no, I was making a bigger point, you know, I mean. Right. You know, so we, about our lives in general. Yes, right? yes, yeah. yes, correct. So he's aware of everything we do. God is right? always aware, yes. Right, yeah. God's always watching. Yeah, right. <coughs> in this case, there's another element here as well. This case, God is almost incentivized to make sure that this doesn't happen, right? Because because so the, the guy's relying on God almost, because God's the only okay. other one, the, the only other yeah. party here. When you have a contract right. and documents, you can go to court about it. You fight out in right. court. But here, no one else has this guy's back other than God. So God's always watching. But in this case, God takes it personally. You're starting up with me. You're not just starting up with him. You're starting up with me. With the contract and witnesses, God's like, all right, you'll take it to court. You'll figure it out. But with me, now you're, you're relying on the vulnerability here that there was no contract, no witnesses. You're relying on me not doing anything. Oh, now you're messing with me, God says. Now you're messing with me. Beware. Don't do that. So that's, that's where it gets a little but bit more saying, personal. Also, you say we're saying then we have backup insurance. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, take a look. Can you guys see that? Is it, is it back up on the screen, the, the Chumash? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, robbery or withholding the wages of a higher worker. Yeah, that's a problem. He denies it. Denies the claim. So when he himself recognizes that he must repent. Look at that. I mean, Donna, your question was about Shuvah. When he, when the guilty party, right? He lied about it. He pro- I never had, I never took it. I didn't. He's promising. And then when he, when he himself realizes that he must repent, knowing and acknowledging that he has sinned and is guilty, right? then, right? or some, some say he intends to confess that he has sinned. Right? So here we have the confession. We have repentance. Tshuva. Rashi says tshuva. Right there. La shuva tshuva. Tshuva is right there. That, that's, those are the, that's the word. Okay. Tshuva. Um, uh, 24, principle. So he has to give the principle and a fifth. And a fifth. Okay, so what's the message? What's the message? Um, I want to give you a spiritual message. And that is, when we do tshuva, we should not only get back to where we started from, but with an extra, extra energy, an extra fifth. Right? What is tshuva in this case? It's not only paying back the principle, but also adding on to a fifth. The message here is, is, is the same thing. Let's say we missed a mitzvah. We missed an opportunity to do a mitzvah. Right? So the next time you do it, don't just do it. Do it with an extra fifth of energy, an extra fifth of passion, an extra, an extra oomph. But a fifth, right, a fifth, one fifth can also be a euphemism for the essence of the soul. Why? 
Because if you've studied Kabbalah with me or, or on your own or, or with whoever, you might have come across the notion that every soul has five dimensions, five names. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, Yechida. Yechida is the fifth dimension of the soul, the quintessence of the soul, what we call the Pintaliyid, the core of the soul, the core essence of the soul. That is the fifth dimension, the fifth. So when the Torah says that when you come back, Right? You've been playing around, you've been fooling around. Yeah, you, you've been in denial. Right? I'm talking about spiritually. Been in denial. Yeah, I'm fine. I never took anything. I never misappropriated. I'm fine. Person says, you sure you don't? You sure there's nothing to fix? I'm fine. Denying everything. I'm fine. Person promises, I'm telling you I'm fine. We tell ourselves that we're fine all the time, right? We, that's the lie we tell ourselves. But a person realizes, you know what? Maybe I'm not fine. Maybe there's stuff I do need to work on. Maybe there's something that I've been lacking, something that I've been withholding, that I haven't been forthcoming in my relationship with God. Then not only should one return to God that which one has been holding back, but with an additional fifth, the additional essence of the soul, which evokes the idea, which reflects the idea that when we do tshuva, not only is it getting back to, the, to where we would have started from, not only are we getting back to the place of innocence, but we're get, being propelled much further, much stronger, much higher than when we started. Like we said in our uh, musical event, the idea of the down and the up is that the up should be much bigger than the down. We should go down. I mean, no, we should. When we go down, the up should be way up, way up, higher than before. That's the goal of the down, is to go higher. And that's symbolized by the Torah's additional fifth, not just a fifth in monetary value, not just a fifth of energy, but the essence of the soul. Not only am I going to do the mitzvah, but because of my previous separation, the mitzvah now is going to be with all my heart, all my soul, all my love, all my devotion. All right, so that's, that's the, uh, the mystical message and hopefully a personal message. I want to do one more thing, and then I, I really do have to run. Um, to get ready for Shabbos here, take a look at the screen. I'm going to pull up the maftir. This week is, is Shabbos Zohar, which means the Shabbat of remembrance. What do we remember? We remember Amalek. Amalek. Amalek is that nation that attacked the Jewish people upon the Exodus. The first nation that attacked. The Jews were riding high, unstoppable. And what happens? Amalek. Amalek says, nah, you're not invincible. Poke, poke. Prod, poke. Amalek is the poker. Amalek is also the idea of doubt, pouring cold water. Ah, you're, you come off of, a, of, a, of an inspiring moment and you're so inspired Jewishly and spiritually and divinely, godly and everything. Spiritually and spiritually inspired. And then Amalek's, the inner Amalek voice says, ah, poke, come on. Yeah, be normal. You're just a regular person. You're not so, you're not so holy, right? Take it easy. That's Amalek. So the Torah, te- so, and, and we read this every Shabbos, every year, the Shabbos before Purim. Because as I mentioned at the top, Haman, Haman, comes from Amalek. He was a bad guy, and he came from Amalek. The villain came from the villainous nation of Amalek. And so to get ourselves ready for Purim, which is about the downfall of Haman, we read about our obligation to bring down Amalek. Here we go. Deuteronomy. This, the maftir this week is from Deuteronomy. By the way, those joining me for, um, for the learner service, we're going to interrupt the learner service for a brief two minutes, go into the service for this reading, because according to many opinions, this is a biblical obligation to hear this this Shabbos. Biblical obligation where? Right here. Right here is the biblical obligation. What does it say? You shall remember. That sounds like an obligation. You shall remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you went out of Egypt. Now, the question is timing. When should you remember it? Once a year before Purim is the right time to do it. But the point is, it's a biblical obligation to remember Amalek. And one way of doing that is by proclaiming it from the Torah in front of a congregation, in front of a community. Um, So let me start again. You shall remember what Amalek did to you on the way when you went out of Egypt, how he happened upon you on the way. That was surprised you. And cut off all the stragglers at your rear, attacked from the back. That's Amalek. Amalek is terrible. Amalek is, is so, um, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Such a, uh, not courageous. What's the opposite of courageous? Help me out here. Coward. What's, coward. 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 Such a coward. Attacks the weak ones at the back. Attacks the stragglers at, at your rear. When you were faint and weary and he did not fear God. 
So this is describing Amalek. Amalek is the one who attacks and who uh, surprises you, ambushes, the ones in the back, the ones that are weak, the women and the children, right? That's Amalek. Amalek is the one who goes after the weakness, right? Doesn't, say, doesn't stand up face to face and say, I want to take you on, but the, the surprise attack. Come on. Therefore, it will be when the Lord your God grants you respite from all your enemies around you in the land which the Lord your God gives you as inheritance possessed. That was when you go into Israel, that you shall, once, once you're calm, the next step is go back after Amalek. You shall obliterate the remembrance of Amalek from beneath the heavens. You shall not forget. It's funny because it means obliterate the remembrances, don't remember them, but then it says don't forget either. So what it means is get rid of any trace of Amalek, but never forget essentially that this is an ongoing struggle. Even if you get rid of Amalek, the inner Amalek always comes back. It's not like we're ever rid of Amalek. Amalek, by the way, numerology, gematria, Amalek, the gematria of Amalek is suffix, is um, suffix, 100 and 240, 240. Doubt, Amalek and suffix, same, same numerology. Amalek is Amalek, the nation. Suffix means doubt. Amalek sows doubt, cynicism, right? Uh, cold water, um, vulnerability. That's what Amalek is. All of the above. It's all little, slight nuanced differences, but these are all Amalek-type traits. And that's, that's inside of us. We also have that voice of cynicism, the voice of whatever. And we have the tendency also to, like when someone's vulnerable or something's vulnerable, to take advantage of situations. Human nature is such, is such. So there's a constant battle against our inner Amalek. Today, we're not meant to like start fighting. Um, we don't, who's Amalek, right? But we have the inner Amalek that we can all identify. And uh, that's where the efforts shall be trained. I mean, we also have Purim and Haman, who's the outer Amalek. That's an easy target to identify. But for us, forever, never forget Amalek. Always remember. Okay, that means for us. That means the internal stuff. All right, that concludes the conversation for this week, at least on my end. I want to thank you all for joining me this week. Don't forget Monday, 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 Monday. We have a very special edition of Daily Power Parsha. Two years, by the way, 400 episodes. 400 episodes. I, it's probably more than 400 over two years. What's, is there a gematria for 400 or something? Or a special meaning? <laughs> mm, I'm sure there is. But I looked, when I uploaded a few days ago, we were up to 398 or 399. So either yesterday was 400 or today was 400. But I think it's kind of cool that we're right around the round number. And I know we've done more, but not all the recordings made it somehow. Like, I don't know, whatever. Some, sometimes it just, you know, stuff doesn't work out. But we have published like audio, whatever, published audio, maybe video, I think video also strong, probably. Are we going to do strong, strong distractions or strength strength? Chazak, chazak. I don't know if we're finishing it, but we're, we'll definitely say l'chaim. We'll definitely say l'chaim. All right. Well, great to see you. Don, first, and Donna, thanks for the idea, the encouragement, and the champagne. Um, and I want to wish everybody a good Shabbos. Donna and Joy and Mark and Sarah. And Sarah mentioned that she will be with us in spirit on Zoom. I mean, it's a little bit of a little bit of a schlep from uh, from Florida. Nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, we will be celebrating together. We'll of course, of course, have the Zoom availability option. But whoever can make it, it would be great to see you guys. All right. Um, have a good Shabbos. So, what's the theme of the Shabbos? The theme of Shabbos is theme of Shabbos is well today's theme. The idea of Tshuva, the idea of Shabbos, we don't do Tshuva, but Shabbos, we can also ascend above. We can elevate a greater strength than before. We should come out of Shabbos stronger than we went into Shabbos. That's the goal. With an extra fifth. It says that on Shabbat, we have an Neshama Yisera, extra soul. Extra soul. What does that mean? That we're more in touch with the fifth dimension of our soul, the Yechida. So we should experience a Shabbos in which we're in touch with our true essence. And then when we come out of Shabbos, we should infuse that extra fifth, the extra soul, in all of our activities to really lift this world and make it a better, peaceful, and loving place. All right, good Shabbos, everyone. We'll see you all soon. Pleasure, pleasure. See you guys. Take care, everybody.